c'est vrai. Je suis un ananas. Now, in the uh, towers of uh, Edmonton... I'm not a tower. I don't speak on both sides. I do not use crack cocaine, nor am I an addict of crack cocaine. Welcome back to Fat, French, and Fabulous. I am Jessica. And I'm Janelle. And today we have a very special topic, as we always do. All of our topics are great. All of our topics are wonderful. They are magnificent. They are stupendous. I wouldn't go that far, but okay. I I like them too. Uh, This one in particular is going to be our first episode on espionage. Specifically on World War II double agent Garbo. Look at us being versatile. Ah, uh, flexible. Uh, Garbo is arguably the most important double agent of World War II. And that makes him very important indeed, because during World War II, espionage and counter-espionage was a vital part of the strategy of both the Axis powers and the Allied forces. An important aspect to British success was the espionage service's ability to find and infiltrate German spy rings and to feed faulty and useless information back to the Germans. Spying is good, yay! Yay! Lying is good sometimes. Don't listen to your teachers. I was gonna say, these days spying is mostly just the government reading all of your sexts, but back in the day it really meant something. Yeah, it's it's 20-something-year-old contractors to the NSA going through all of your emails and intimate correspondence. Passing your dick pics around the office. Giggling at your nudes. Everybody... Everybody at the NSA has seen your genitals. That's everyone. <laughs> Every single one That's of them. That's what espionage has become. If you have particularly weird nipples, if you've got like a funny looking testicle, trust me, all of the world's top spies have seen them. Only if you think highly enough of your weird genitals to photograph them. <laughs> I mean, if you're texting your doctor like, should my testicle be this inflamed? Then yeah, but otherwise like... <laughs> I really hope people out there aren't just like, you know what women want to see? My weird ball. All women, all the time. I don't know. I I think you're overestimating the average man. Is it average or is this like a renegade squad of dick pic senders who just, their mission is just to show the world their crotch? (laughs) Well, in that case, renegade dick pic senders, you're in luck. Chad from the NSA has definitely seen them by now. (laughs) I feel like that's kind of what they want, except... Maybe not a dude. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not Chad, specifically. But, like, they want somebody to look at it. Somebody to comment upon it. They just want attention. It's just a cry for help. If they take a dick pic and send it to a woman, and Chad from the NSA intercepts it, to them, does that make it gay? I'm not even sure at this point. We're asking the really tough questions on the podcast this week. Uh, You know, really tough questions from the podcast world. If a dude looks at your penis in a completely non-sexual manner... In an espionage-related fashion. If a man spies on your penis, is it gay? (laughs) I'm leaning towards no... But internet, you decide. Alright, well. A key route for misinformation, and not dick pics as far as I know, was a Spanish spy known by the codename Agent Garbo. A double agent trusted by Nazi spy masters, but secretly hostile to fascism of all stripes. Interesting. Agent Garbo played a dangerous game with German intelligence to help a country to which he had no filial allegiance. But why? For shits and giggles, I assume? Shits and gigs. Shits and gigs. Shits and gigs. <laughs> so to understand Agent Garbo, let us go back well before the outbreak of the Second World War to 1936 to a young man from Barcelona named 
Juan Pujol Garcia. We're really painting a picture this week, aren't we? Yeah. I I was feeling poetic. <laughs> I I wanted to really get into the the heart and soul of the matter. So Pujol worked as the manager of a poultry farm in Catalonia. Glamorous. He had tried his hands at numerous occupations before he received his degree in animal husbandry from the Royal Poultry School. Oh, very. Is that, wait, that was, that was not a joke. No. That was not your joke voice. That was not my joke voice at all because he There's actually- There's a real poultry school. There is a Royal Poultry School, or at least there was in the 1930s. <laughs> yes. The Royal Poultry The Royal school. Poultry School. I can't go to a common public poultry school. <laughs> no, I, only the royal, only the most noble of chickens can be raised by moi, with my degree from the royal poultry school. I select the finest husbands for all of my chickens, <laughs> which is my misunderstanding of what animal husbandry is. I'm sort of halfway there. Yeah, yeah. Animal husbandry just sounds like very different from what it actually is. Because animal forced breeding is just not as catchy. Mm, no. <laughs> Takes up too much space on the diploma. It's way more polite if we, we pretend the sanctity of marriage condones this kind of thing. <laughs> NDU, Mr. Clucks, <laughs> take this woman. <laughs> he had apprenticed at a hardware store. He spent a mandatory six months in the military as a cavalryman. He ran a cinema, but had achieved only middling success at any of them. He especially <laughs> hated his time in the cavalry, as he uh, didn't care at all for the discomforts of horseback riding. And I put that quite a bit more politely than he did. So he had a wedgie for six months. <laughs> He, he he made like he, he he had some posterior complaints. Let us his say. balls were tender and swollen. <laughs> That's what that means. He had a bruised behind. <laughs> so his asshole did not have the fortitude for war. He, was... he did not have the fortitude for war. <laughs> his sphincter was unready for combat. <laughs> uh... The technical medical term. All right, boys, we're going to war. Ready your sphincters. <laughs> yeah. It's not it's no, not what you no. expect. <laughs> uh, he also, and I quote the man himself here, uh, said that he lacked those essential qualities of loyalty, generosity, and honor that the cavalryman is meant to possess. <laughs> ah, so he's a shithead. He isn't an- <laughs> with a sore butthole. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> he he is dubious of his, his of his general virtues let us say <laughs> dude's dude's a dick dude's a dick and he's open and comfortable with that fact <laughs> also like good on that guy though he kind of nailed it i mean the, the dude went on to be a double agent so like lack of loyalty is pretty much on the money oh yeah absolutely history remembers garbo but it forgets the astuteness of his commanding officer <laughs> no no this was what he was saying Oh. He described himself this way. Oh, never mind. I take it back. I thought this was a performance review. No, this is this is just him being an asshole. No, th- this is this is just him describing himself. He's like, no, nah, I'm I'm a dick. I don't belong here. <laughs> and he, he nailed it. I'm he yeah. was a disloyal to his home country. Uh, his real talents had always been a heap of charm, a gift for gab, and a wild imagination, which apparently isn't exactly a prized trait in a soldier. No, probably not. <laughs> probably not. I mean, we could stab this guy, or I we mean, could get we some could. rocks so we could have a tea party. <laughs> it's up to him, really. Sure, I didn't finish my drills, but what if you just imagined I finished my drills and you let me go back to playing cards? <laughs> 
eventually you're just gonna find him like squatting over the dead body of a fallen soldier like more tea (laughs) (laughs) Mm, yes mrs tinklebottom would like more tea just pours the 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 boot full of tea onto the onto the fallen soldier. Mmm, more sugar now, my dear. <laughs> uh, finally, he had turned his hand to poultry farming, but sadly, his chicken-related ambitions were not to be. Oh no! Because that year of nineteen thirty-six was the outbreak of the Spanish Civil War. Damn it! All I want to do is raise chickens, and they keep making me defend the integrity of my nation's borders. I hate it when this happens. God. <laughs> Every single time. Like, I just want to, like, raise my chickens or just, like, go down to the store to buy some eggs because I'm terrible at raising chickens. But again and again, civil conflict breaks out and brother is shooting brother in a swamp. I mean, it's been almost 100 years and I think that's a story we can all relate to. Like, you know, there's only there's only a, a couple of stories, really, that make up most of our fiction, most of our stories. We have, like, the hero's journey, and we have the thwarted chicken farmer, and that's it's pretty much all of human narratives right there. It's really there. a classic. Like, some would say cliche, <laughs> but I say classic. Uh... <laughs> Can't go wrong with the classics. Angry poultry farmer. Angry poultry farmer. Tale as old as time. <laughs> Uh, To massively oversimplify for the sake of time, the Spanish Civil War was a conflict between the Soviet Union-backed Republicans who supported the left-wing government of the Second Spanish Republic and the German and and Italian-backed nationalists. I know that you said that you were going to, like, shorten this for the sake of time, but I still fully expected you to launch into a two-hour detailed explanation of the Spanish Civil War. That's, that's, like, good instincts. I, I absolutely wanted to do that but i restrained myself for the sake of I am art toasting you with a university branded water bottle from a different country <laughs> you are pretentious just as pretentious as i but with less flamboyant use of french this is a free water bottle that i won in a debate tournament last year <laughs> that's not better <laughs> on guard yeah. i'm not pretentious i'm just a nerd <laughs> Anyway, basically, what the Spanish Civil War was, was a civil conflict that could also be described as a commie v. fascist proxy war. Ooh, my favorite. Mmm, best kind. You know, it has a little more je sais quoi, a little more nuance than your average, everyday resource proxy war. (laughs) Oh, those are pretty much my favorite things to watch. I mean, there's the, the Grey Cup, there's the Stanley Cup, and then there's the Nazi v. fascist proxy war. Kami v. Fascist. Kami v. Fascist. Even better. The Nazis and the fascists are really on the same side here. That's true. Damn mm. it. That's just that's just a Nazi punching himself in the face. <laughs> Which, incidentally, is my very favorite thing to watch. Oh, it's an absolute peach of a peach of a drama. Just the <laughs> beauty of that man, that racist, horrifying individual pulling back and socking himself once more in the jaw. It's the kind of thing you watch over and over again to get all of the detail. Yes, you just want to, you want play-by-play. You want detailed, you know, Madden-esque descriptions of of the blow-by-blow. It is a scene that is almost erotic in nature. Oh, okay. We ended up there. We always end up here. Somehow. (laughs) Every single podcast is just us describing things that are not erotic in sexual terms. I'm just saying... If someone happens to get off on the sight of a Nazi getting punched in the face, 
I'm with them. All right. This is a no shame zone. All kinks are welcome. <laughs> this is you're gonna start a hashtag campaign just <laughs> Absolutely. supporting people with Nazi self flagellation <laughs> kinks. Yeah. Nazi self harm harm kink. I I think it's a real winner. <laughs> okay. This is weird territory. You're going back. You're going if back. Podcasting doesn't work out. I'm going to. I'm going to go into filming highly specific fetish porn. All right, good. I no longer worry (laughs) about your financial future. This has been an informative episode. (laughs) So the Republican forces commandeered the factory that represented the Pujol family's livelihood early in the conflict. Oh, that's basically your last name. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I am, in fact, saying Pujol rather than the traditional... I'm using the Catalan pronunciation of his last name rather than the standard international Spanish pronunciation of his last name because he is of, of course a proud uh, a proud member of the Catalan tribe but also because his name pronounced in a normal Spanish accent would be Pujol oh and um, I'm just not mature enough to handle that so Pujol it is and also <laughs> the reason that you're pronouncing it that way is because nerd 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 nerd, 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 nerd. but also yeah there's no way that you can say Pujol for an hour this is <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot I like I don't have the level of informality necessarily necessary to call him Juan and I definitely don't have the major- maturity to handle calling him Pujol <laughs> this podcast any more than I already have basically is walking a precarious tightrope walk between being a children's podcast and being a review podcast for various types of pornography <laughs> that's that's what we are we're that's, we're, that's who we are and I'm comfortable with we're that. either a pornographic fetish podcast or we're for children there's just we're somewhere in that gray zone <laughs> it's a very narrow gray zone but we've managed to squeeze in there <laughs> the Venn diagram of those types of podcasts is two circles on opposite ends of a football team <laughs> with us sprinting frantically back and forth. <laughs> they commandeer his family's factory and Pujol himself was called to fight for the Republican side as an officer in the reserves. Uh, Pujol was dubious about the capacity of the Republican side's ability to govern and critical of abuses committed by Republican supporters, including the arrest under false pretenses of several members of his own family. Not into that. I can see how that would make you suspicious. Basically what happened is his younger sister and his mother were uh, arrested, uh, accused of supporting the enemy, of being fascist supporters, and they would have been executed if they had not been liberated by an anarchist trade union. Because everything gets complicated during civil wars. (laughs) Again, that's just an archetype that I think we're all familiar with when you're being held, you know, prisoner of war in a communist versus fascist conflict, and then you're liberated by an anarchist trade union. Moments before your execution, it's just, again, tale as old as time, true as it can be. You know, the basic coming-of-age <laughs> tale, you know, boy meets girl, girl gets kidnapped by supporters of the communist government, uh, girl gets rescued by trade unionist anarchists. It's just so familiar <laughs> and comforting. No matter what happens in this cruel and crazy world, you always know that doomed, condemned teenage prisoners of war will be rescued by <laughs> trade union anarchists. It's a constant. It's, it's, it's a comfort, as always. Rather than obey a conscription order to fight for a cause he did not share, Pujol instead decided to go into hiding. 
but eventually was arrested after being betrayed by an informant. It seems like a really poor planning on the Republicans' end that they were like, all right, we're going to arrest this dude's mom and sister. Okay, who do we want to be a leader in one of our armies? That fucking guy. Like, there's no screening process at all. Oh, exactly. No, like, do you support our cause? Check the box, yes or no. Like, it's fifth grade dating. Like, just nope. That guy. Come fight our ideology war. By the way, we're killing your mom next week. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's a level of paranoia. But then it's this expectation of support, which is really unearned. (laughs) It's just bad recruiting. They need a better HR director. That's all there is to it. They need one of those signs like, you know, Uncle Sam wants you. But instead of that, we won't kill your mom. (laughs) Real wars are not one with bullets or with soldiers. They are one with competent HR departments. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, I will fight a war for you if you don't kill my mom. I will. (laughs) Just saying. I'm very fond of the woman. (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad that we have that on record. Now you don't even need to get her a Mother's Day card. You can just play that clip for her a couple times. <laughs> I doubt she'll be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> and she shouldn't be. She's like, yeah, sure, they're not going to watch you, you asthmatic little weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're going to be knocking at your door, you know. You know, come fight the war for us. <laughs> That's tough love. Just tell your child well they are physically unfit for military service. <laughs> Just be clear about it. Just be open, be honest, and discuss the fact that they are a puny weakling with no capacity for military ambitions. <laughs> you can't fight for my life, you flat-footed little oddball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you can barely get up the stairs. <laughs> She says it because she loves you. Or because she desperately wants one of your siblings to be her military champion instead. (laughs) Either or. Either or. (laughs) She's got good odds. I've got four siblings. (laughs) I'm the second shortest of us. (laughs) Yeah, you're in no danger of being conscripted to the military. I definitely have the weakest joints. (laughs) I have seen you get out of breath while chugging a gallon of milk you pulled out of your backpack. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I frequently get out of breath while recording this podcast. Yeah, I, I, we named it for a reason. I don't think... I'm mildly winded right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you're finally allowed out of your closet. You're not used to breathing this much air. Oh, no, I'm so back in the yourself. closet. Oh, you're back in the closet. Never mind. <laughs> this is the Janelle and Jessica's internment in a closet show. So after being betrayed by this informant, informant, he remained in captivity for 19 days before escaping with the help of Socorro Blanco, an underground traditionalist resistance group composed primarily of Catholic women. Holy shit, like, how terrible are Spanish prisons in the 1930s? <laughs> You're basically just there until some radical connected to the labor union comes to pick you up. Yeah, you just have to basically wait until somebody sends somebody around. <laughs> like, oh, the Catholic women will be coming by in half an hour to do their, like, yeah. weekly pickup. They're in and out faster than the Jokers out of Arkham, jeez. My laundromat has better security than this prison does. <laughs> It's like, what What are we even doing here? You might as well not even lock people up at all. Just let them, what are you, just letting them roam the countryside and you're calling that prison? They're not like sheep. They have opposable thumbs. <laughs> this is what happens when everybody in your town attends the Royal Academy of Poultry. 
You're lacking a few other core skill sets in your labor market. Yeah. Pujol went into hiding once more for about a year, a time sig- of significant hardship and deprivation. He eventually managed to acquire false papers and a position managing a poultry farm in northern Catalonia, near the French border, with an o- the help of an old friend from poultry school. <laughs> oh, good. So everything everything worked out, really. This is where we should roll credits. Yeah. This is this is his yeah. biopic. It's just the struggle of a man who loves him some poultry. Yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of this odd thing where it's just like, you know, I heard that you go to school not necessarily to learn, but to make connections. But I wasn't aware that poultry school was the best place just to find those <laughs> those those A plus faking faking your identity and and getting in getting out of a war torn area like <laughs> like I I wasn't aware that that's where you made those kind of connections. They don't they don't have business cards in poultry school. You just hand out chicken breasts with your phone number stamped on them. <laughs> Everyone just goes to poultry conventions with a bucket and a George Foreman. <laughs> Just sear it on, and then there you go. <laughs> Call me up. Networking. <laughs> they'll they'll eat the poultry breast, and like they'll decide how good it is, and hopefully they haven't eaten eaten your number, and they'll give you a call. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, it's a business card and a demo all rolled into one. Efficiency. Got, these guys have got to figure it figured out. <laughs> Pujol intended to cross into France at his first opportunity, but security at the border was increased after a large group was caught attempting to make the passage. Hmm. Uh, incidentally, Pujol was not impressed with the organization and management of this poultry farm. His complaints included the inefficient communist-style rule by committee and that overhead routinely exceeded revenue due to the fact that this was a all a completely unnecessary amount of bureaucracy for a small farm of only about a thousand el- elderly chickens. What the hell? <laughs> now I kind of wish I could visit this farm. They just have this egalitarian council of the chicken elders that's sucking up all of their resources. <laughs> We're not turning a profit, guys. All of the money we make just gets sunk into cheese platters for our annual council meetings. Out of desperation, Pujol voluntarily enlisted with the Republican forces, uh, which he had previously avoided conscription for. Oh, God damn it! So all of this was pointless. <laughs> yeah. Well, he I mean he couldn't cross into it the It took French one border. mismanaged chicken farm. <laughs> <laughs> he managed to get to that Spanish chicken farm, but then then he couldn't make it across the border. <laughs> if I can't have a nice chicken farm and I can't go to France, I'm just gonna fight for a cause I don't believe in. I see no other alternatives. The Republican forces were now a demoralized army whose rations consisted entirely of lentils flavored with lard for many battalions. So not even like pork and beans, just (laughs) lentils and lard. Beans with a suggestion of pork. (laughs) It's basically the great value version of pork and beans. Yeah. Lentils and lard. Just beans with a rumor of ham. <laughs> <laughs> if this podcasting thing doesn't work out for us, I think we both know we're going into the canning business. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm really feeling the chicken, the chicken business. I think it'll really give me the training I need to succeed in life. <laughs> Pujol actually intended to defect to the nationalist side the moment he got the opportunity, which he did. He's so bad at this. He's so bad at this. <laughs> he, he, he defected them for them, them at great personal risk, making a break for the nationalist lines in the dark of night. Just literally sprint to that bandwagon. And after hours of interrogation at the hands of a fascist army, Pujol was sent to a nationalist concentration camp in a retrofitted university in the Basque region, uh, where the only hygiene option for those detained was to wash in the ornamental fountain on campus. 
So basically your typical undergrad experience. Can't afford a bath or your roommate keeps hogging the shower. Just, you know, throw yourself into the ornamental fountain and <laughs> l- let let the waterborne diseases come where they may. <laughs> Disease and vermin were commonplace in this camp to the point that betting food on lice races became popular among the inmates. Mm, again, mm. fairly typical undergraduate experience. <laughs> <laughs> Counting the body lice, throwing yourself into the campus fountain. Yeah. It's, it's all there. I mean, I remember that from, from my freshman year. Hopefully not, because our campus is frozen solid. <laughs> yeah. Most of the, the year. The lice races were pretty boring at U of A. The lice were not particularly uppity. They didn't have a lot of get up and go. <laughs> no, it was mostly just watching super aggressive rabbits get closer and closer to your lunch. <laughs> that was kind of the hobby at University of Alberta. Mm. Uh, Pajol eventually managed to get enlisted, but his experiences as a nationalist soldier were less than happy due to the arbitrary and sometimes cruel actions of his commanding officers. So the the fascists behaved too fascist for him (laughs) after he specifically joined the fascists. Well, I mean, like, to be clear, his other options were uh failed communism were either failed communism or living living in utter anonymity and starving to death. It would have been less work and less costly for both sides of this war to just give the man a chicken farm. <laughs> just just stay here. Here's a chicken. Raise these chickens and just leave us the fuck alone. <laughs> Quit defecting. It literally would have been, but you know, he was so like I don't know what they were feeding him at the chicken farm or even as a nationalist soldier because he was so malnourished by the time he got to this concentration camp that the food there was too rich for him and made him sick and they had to nurse him back to health with broth. <laughs> yeah, if the concentration camp dining hall is too rich and flavorful for your <laughs> deprived palate, once again, you're having the typical undergraduate experience. <laughs> And I'm willing to bet actual money that the food at this concentration camp in the Spanish Civil War was somehow still provided by Aramark. (laughs) Their company logo or company motto should basically just be like, Aramark, 19 fun and exciting new ways to eat cardboard. (laughs) True story. at At my undergraduate institution, the dining hall would start out really, really impressive in the first week when parents were still kind of milling around and caring what happened to their offspring. And then as the semester would progress, it would get worse and worse and worse. So we started out with, like, elaborate Indian food. We started out with, like, vegetarian enchiladas. Like, all these really fancy meals. And the last meal I ate there before I went home for Christmas break was just a bucket of assorted animal parts labeled meat. <laughs> that was what was for dinner. And, and that is not an exaggeration. No, no, it was literally a bucket of unidentified animal parts labeled meat. That I, In no way is that an exaggeration. <laughs> yeah, like... You know, usually the freshman 15 does not mean the 15 different assorted wild animals that were killed and put in this stew. (laughs) (laughs) All the fauna of New Brunswick in one (laughs) handy bucket. The freshman 15 also usually doesn't mean the the 15 varieties of pests and parasites you get after eating this kind of diet. (laughs) Mm, I ate a whole lot of Lucky Charms in my undergraduate experience. For those unfamiliar with this particular era... The Nationalists won the Civil War in April 1939. Pujol was given an honorable discharge, somehow. (laughs) I was going to say, wow, that's generous. (laughs) I mean, he also got arrested during his time with the fascists, but they eventually let him out again. We can't put him back in the concentration camp. He hogs all the fountain. (laughs) (laughs) 
he keeps he keeps cheating in his bets on the lice races and <laughs> depriving everyone else of food. It's better to just give him military honors than disrespect the sanctity of the lice race. He has no honor, not the honor necessary of, of the lice race better. <laughs> <laughs> or the lice race bookie. <laughs> So even though he got this honorable discharge, he considered it a point of personal pride that he fired not a shot for either side during the entirety of the war. Oh, good. (laughs) Again, this is just a dude who prides himself on not being particularly useful, which is hilarious (laughs) because he's best known for his military service. Absolutely. Just like we remember him more like almost a hundred years later as a someone who is valuable to the military. Yeah, yeah. And someone who's fairly gallant. And his whole personal identity is just... His greatest point of pride was being utterly useless to everyone he he worked for during the Spanish Civil War. (laughs) Oh my god, I bet he did nothing in any of his group projects at the Royal Poultry Academy. Oh, I bet he was absolutely that one guy who just lets everybody else do the group work. (laughs) Despicable. He absolutely was. Just everybody else doing their chicken-related assignments while he just, like, leans back and, like, and writes his name chicken breasts <laughs> it was networking networking you know it's not it's not the it's not the work you put in it's the networking it's the networking it's who you know you know it's the most important part of post-secondary uh <laughs> in the brief months between the end of the civil war and the beginning of world war ii that september Pujol got a job as the manager of the three-star hotel Majestic, which had been taken over by the Communist Internationalist Brigade during the National Siege of Madrid, and whose central heating had been destroyed as a result. <laughs> also, how do people just keep handing him jobs he's in no way qualified for? I'd like to join your fascist army, please. Yeah, sure. I would like to be the manager of this hotel, please. I mean, he's got an education from the Royal Chicken Academy, so he checks out. He can definitely manage a hotel. In his defense, this is a post-war formerly three-star hotel. It's more like of a, a 1.1 star hotel. They they have no central heating. They've been camped in by an entire br- brigade of soldiers. This this hotel has seen better days. So it's a one star for Italy and five and a half stars for Saskatoon. <laughs> Likewise, during this time, he met Araceli Gonzalez, who he later married. In terms of his personal political philosophy, Pujol can be best described as a liberal humanist, partially due to the influence of his own liberal humanist father, partially due to his own experiences during the Civil War. Keeping in mind that liberal can mean quite a few different things in modern political parlance, I will specify here that I mean liberal in the traditional sense, as in a focus on tolerance, personal free freedom, and equality. I was going to say, as in the do-whatever-the-fuck-you-want yeah, sense. Yeah, I don't, I don't give a shit. Just do whatever you want, be happy. Just leave me alone with my chickens. <laughs> I don't care what you do as long as you leave me with my chickens. Kill each other for all <laughs> I care. Pujol was strongly anti-extremist, anti-racist, and anti-war. So, for the first time in a historical podcast, we get to say, we don't have to judge people by the by the standards of their day. He was pretty alright as a human being, even for the 1940s. Which is hilarious, though, is that, like, he's anti-war and anti-extremist, and he went out of his way to join not one, but two extremist military forces. <laughs> exactly. Both of which were completely optional. He was in hiding. He had a good thing going on yeah. bureaucracy communist chicken farm. Yeah. And, like, he, he's anti-war, but he goes out of his way to join, join a completely different war that he has no business joining because Spain is neutral throughout World War II. 
I don't actually know that this man ever had any idea what he was doing. He just sort of <laughs> ran headfirst toward the nearest bad idea. <laughs> he just sort of riffed his way into being a double agent. Honestly, he did. <laughs> Nazism held a particular horror for Pujol. Little was known of the worst abuses of the Nazi regime outside Germany, but what rumors reached Madrid set Pujol ill at ease. People who, like, goose-step around are just not up to good things. No. I think that's a universal human context. He was naturally suspicious of people waving their arms in weird ways without the use of their elbow and goose-stepping around in Hugo Boss. You should be naturally suspicious of that. I'm naturally suspicious of fucking marching bands because of how fascist they look. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind an actual Nazi regime. Yeah, anybody who looks a little bit too regimented, a little bit too fascist, you should be suspicious. It doesn't matter if it's the meter maid, it doesn't matter if it's the marching band. Keep an eye on those fuckers. I will call well-rehearsed high school marching bands fascists to their face. (laughs) As you should. (laughs) As you should. Spain remained neutral throughout the war, but was nonetheless relatively closely aligned with the Axis powers due to the Franco regime's animosity towards the Soviet Union. So there was no chance that Pujol's own country would join the fight against the Nazis. The news coming out of Germany eventually disturbed Pujol to the extent that he decided to offer his services as a spy to the one country left that inspired his confidence, the one nation that stood a chance, that had the gumption to fight back against that monster Hitler. Britain. I was going to say, you're slipping into your British accent, so I already know the answer. (laughs) Yeah. We're coming dangerously close to the Winston Churchill voice. Excellent. (laughs) Juan Pujol Garcia, the pacifist serial deserter whose greatest pride was never firing a bullet during the course of his begrudging military service, had finally found a cause worth fighting for. Queen Vicky. Vicky. Or actually, at this point, George the Thixt. She's dead. I was gonna, she's dead by then. We're, we're talking about the current queen's dad. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna make fun of you for being a nerd, but I do know that. <laughs> yeah, that one is at least recent enough history that most of us should know it. No, nobody, nobody listening to this podcast should have a detailed history of the last hundred years of the British monarchy offhand. What? (laughs) Absolutely not. The British are on our money, but I feel like the average Canadian should barely know who the Queen is. Agree with me on this point. They should at the very least know that Queen Victoria has been dead at least that long. Sure. They should at least know that. (laughs) I feel like your parents just told you that you were normal. To make you feel better a lot of the time, and now you think that everybody knows things. My parents mostly just said that other people were weird, which is almost the same thing, but not quite. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Well, no matter what you know about Queen Vicky, I think you can all agree that she's a looker worth fighting for. <laughs> That's the woman you want to paint on the side of your biplane. Vicky. Vicky. The beauty. The grace. I, I don't think she was The unbelievable <laughs> majesty of the woman. <laughs> A beauty before her time. <laughs> I was like, she's she's the one who released horrifying sex diaries after she died. Oh, did she? Her kids found. Oh yeah, her kids found her diaries after they di- after she died. <laughs> and uh, even though the the queen was famously quoted once as saying, "We are not amused. We are not amused." At something funny. I don't know <laughs> something that was an uncovered table leg, but um. Yeah, her entire diary was just basically her talking about how much she loved sex, oh, yes. booze, and drugs. Oh, yeah, yeah. She she was very into sex. I do I do remember that. She was distraught when her husband died, but although I think that was, wasn't just the A-class banging they were getting up to. 
At the age of 20, she wrote in her diary, how handsome Albert looks in his white cashmere Ooh. breeches with nothing on underneath. <laughs> Ooh, scandalous, Vicky, scandalous. Going commando, Albert. Ooh, scandalous, Albert. <laughs> prince, the prince consort is getting naughty. Oh yeah, this is this is gonna be this is gonna be an episode. <laughs> These quotes are as excellent as they are, unquestionably horrifying. <laughs> it's just I keep imagining her dour, unamused jowly face as you read these things and it is giving me odd images (laughs) at age 38 when her doctor warned her against having a 10th child for her health she told him am i not to have any more fun in bed (laughs) (laughs) oh vicky you saucy wench (laughs) oh yeah we found a next episode this is how it happens googling shit mid-recording britain is going to retroactively disown us (laughs) (laughs) we're not even british citizens anymore but they're going to grant us citizenship just so that they can revoke it excellent they're going to invite us to britain just so that they can deport us (laughs) (laughs) it's what i've always aspired to we 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 take far too many jabs at the monarchy and most of it is either sexual or cannibalism (laughs) yeah this is a weird podcast It's a very strange podcast. I can't even summarize it to people anymore. I don't even know what it's about. <laughs> it's just, it's weird shit. I don't know. I don't know. We do weird shit. Weird shit. You like weird shit, right? Weird shit. Yeah, it's pretty much that. That's our marketing pitch. Follow us on Twitter, kids. In January 1941, Pujol contacts the British embassy, embassy in Madrid using his wife, Araceli Gonzalez, as an intermediary. He largely writes his wife out of his memoirs, and writes it as if he had gone to this uh, this meeting, but generally most accounts agree that it was Gonzalez, not Pujol, who first approaches the British. Ah, good, and she gets all the fondness of the kitchen table mm. when she's mentioned in his memoirs. <laughs> uh, she doesn't get mentioned at all. She's completely written oh. out. Uh, I think the wife. The what wife? wife? <laughs> yeah, what wife? Well, this is probably because they eventually got divorced. And it was quite a painful situation for them. But uh, Gonzalez was heavily involved in his decision to approach the British in the first place. She was all on board for his decision to uh, offer himself up as a spy to a foreign country neither of them had been to. And on their wedding day, it says, Do you promise to love this man in sickness and in health, for better or for worse? Even if he defects to join a foreign nation as an agent of espionage? <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> Isn't that true, that's, love? That's going in my wedding vows. I want to make sure anyone I marry is down with me defecting to a foreign nation at any point. <laughs> you just want to keep that in the prenup. <laughs> if I decide to be a Lithuanian spy, you've got to be down with it. That's what you're signing up for, you poor bastard. <laughs> the British are, for for a variety of reasons not interested in their new volunteer in the slightest. Perhaps because he's the nobody manager of a shitty Madrid hotel with a degree in chicken. (laughs) Yeah, it's not even impressive by today's standards. It's... (laughs) I imagine less impressive by the standards of their time. I can only imagine what, like, Mrs. Pujol's father thought of thought of her marriage. <laughs> Nobody would be impressed by this. This is this is a low bar by anybody's standards. Marrying a failed chicken farmer who manages a heatless pile of rubble. Yeah, this is this is approximately the 1940s equivalent of of dating 
the pool boy at a Motel 8 uh, with, <laughs> with, with a completely useless a fine arts degree. That is exactly Yay. what this is. <laughs> at this point in my dating life, I think my parents would take it. <laughs> I think they'd be proud. I think they'd welcome their yeah. new son-in-law with open arms. <laughs> I think so. You just gotta wear your parents down with years of poor decisions. <laughs> Path to true love. Mm, yeah. That's that's really what the thing that love is made out of. <laughs> Settling. Settling after a constant series of mistakes. Settling. Settling. <laughs> you know, you just gotta lower that bar. You just gotta push it down. <laughs> I'm gonna take my psych degree and I'm gonna use it to shit out a series of excellent dating advice books. <laughs> After being rejected by the British, Pujol decides that what he really needs is something to offer them. He needs connections. He needs information. Shortly after, he phones up the German embassy and proclaims his fervent desire to serve the interest of the Axis powers and the cause of the new Europe. <laughs> so basically, this man's entire modus operandi as a double agent could have been completely undone if call history had existed. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> if he had a cell phone with a call log, it would be all over for him. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to give him, like, slightly more credit for being in that, like, if he had probably lived in a day and age with call history, he probably would have used a different phone. But, yeah, basically. <laughs> Spy work. Yeah. The Germans ask him to call back the next day, and when he does, they instruct him to meet a fair-haired, blue-eyed man in a light suit by the name of Federico at the Café Lyon at 4.30pm the next day. I say asking him to meet a blonde-haired, blue-eyed German really narrows things down. Uh, I know. And you might be thinking, okay, his name's Federico? Bullshit. And you'd be absolutely right. <laughs> uh, his real name was Gustav Nittel. An SS Sturmbannführer, which is an overly complicated German term that basically means he was a major. He has a Wikipedia page, if you even care. <laughs> are you taking a snide jab at our audience for not being as hopelessly nerdy as we are? No, I'm taking a snide jab at myself for actually having fucking looked him up. <laughs> That's true. You deserve it a little bit. Go find a yeah. high school locker and shut yourself in it. <laughs> You know the drill. I know his entire history. And I'm never going to forget that. And, but it's never going to be useful to me. So I, at the very least, have to make other people get curious and make them look. <laughs> I sentence you to three self-induced toilet swirlies. <laughs> oh, at least give me an additional two wedgies. Come on. That was a pretty, pretty harsh offense. This is now bordering on BDSM. Come on, punish me. It's Tell me I'm a bad nerd. Make me give myself a wedgie. <laughs> Tell me I've been very bad, and I've been studying things I shouldn't while procrastinating on my more important assignments. Ooh. Ooh. Make me eat alone in the cafeteria. <laughs> Tell me I'm not allowed to eat with the cool kids. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to keep the explicit rating on. <laughs> and staying on the podcast. I'm 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 just gonna dress up in some taped up glasses, uh, a pair of extremely short pants and suspenders, and yeah, and then you can punish me. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. See, I feel like we could let children listen to this podcast because they would not understand. <laughs> they just they would not understand what they're hearing. <laughs> just utter incomprehension. I don't think they'd even recognize it as sexuality. <laughs> the word fuck. They get that. 
the uh, the notion that a ambiguously gendered individual wants to dress up as a schoolboy and eat cafeteria food by themselves as punishment for looking things up on Wikipedia. Nobody understands that. Nobody. <laughs> I don't even understand no. it. No. <laughs> and you shouldn't. So it's actually not super surprising that Pujol managed to make contact with a high-up member of German intelligence at the Madrid assem- uh, embassy. Of the 486 staff members there, only 171 weren't spies or in- intelligence agents of some kind. I was say, is the embassy, like, higher-ups just in the phone book? Like, just... <laughs> Dial 9 to speak directly to the Fuhrer. Yeah. They had people to spare on a strange cold call from enthusiastic randos. (laughs) It's not that weird that he's able just to cold call the assembly and get a meeting with a fucking major of the Abwehr. It's also kind of a terrible idea. Like, there's nothing more suspicious than calling up the German embassy and being like, I am definitely... Definitely not a spy. Please give me all of your national secrets. <laughs> I'm I'm really into Hitler. Give me all your money. <laughs> oh, I just, there's nothing I love more than bratwurst and blue eyes. Let's do this. <laughs> Pujol meets Federico, if that is your real name, puts on his best impression of a raving fascist fanatic and rants about his boundless devotion to the Fuhrer and his ardent support for the Third Reich. So he just does a less pathetic Richard Spencer impression. Absolutely, for a of he 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 does a more suave, more charismatic Richard Spencer. <laughs> uh, if you're feeling up to it, look up young Pujol in his military fatigues because he is a handsome, charming motherfucker. I would, he... but I cannot spell Pujol. <laughs> I've been bested. It's with a J. <laughs> Where that doesn't help me. <laughs> It's <laughs> like learn a second language, you know. That's like saying, be cultured. Oh yeah, my name is Pigeot with a Q. Like that doesn't where where does that go? What how in the middle? No. <laughs> God. Pujol brags about his in personal connections, his affluent friends, and the boundless influence he has among officials and diplomats. Two days later. Federico gets back to him to politely thank him, but refuse his help, because the activities Pujol proposed would provide little information of use to Abwehr, German military intelligence. Oh, I got a rejection letter. Eh. Like, getting rejected by Nazis has got to sting. Like, <laughs> they don't have the right to reject fucking anybody. <laughs> I like that there's, like, a Nazi rejection form letter. <laughs> Dear Mr. Pujol... No, they were very polite. We they did you. this in person. They didn't want to be hurtful. Oh. Well, <laughs> that totally changes my impression of the Nazi regime. <laughs> at, at least they did weren't gauche enough to spy break up with Pujol over over the phone. <laughs> God. Pujol, sensing his opportunity slipping, offers instead to get a job as a foreign correspondent for a Spanish magazine, seeing as he already had the papers to travel to Britain where he could then send them reports directly. Hmm. Uh, Abwehr found this idea far more interesting and requested further time to think on the matter. Pujol himself bought more time by claiming that he was going to visit his family in Barcelona and would contact Federico again when he returned to Madrid. Hmm. Now, already about 90% of what he's told the Germans is bullshit. He is an unconnected, failed chicken farmer working at a hotel. (laughs) But he... 
gives them this whole story about how he's an agent of the government and he's he's an ardent fascist and he's unbelievably well connected to you guys. You have no idea. He's basically every friend of yours who has ever taken a summer of, of, of at a at a foreign school in Europe just comes back bragging about how cultured they've become. I was going to say background <laughs> checks have really come a long way. They really have. You know, random companies exchanging your personal information for money really would have helped the Nazi regime figure out who exactly was offering to spy for them. I'm kind of mad that more people didn't lie about their backgrounds when they could get away with it. You've wasted a grand opportunity just to be an an absolute con artist. And you should have done it for all of us, for all of us who are constantly spied upon from Chad, by Chad from the NSA, by Chad from Facebook, by Chad from Twitter. Yeah. All of that information about us out there preventing us from just lying our asses off about all of our qualifications. I was going to say, like, your great-grandchildren won't be able to lie about their coffee order. The government will know exactly how much coffee they buy, what kind of coffee they buy, where they buy it, where they tend to buy it, what time of day. You, on the other hand, can just claim to be a trained lion tamer. And the only way anyone's going to find out is when you get eaten. Yeah. Sure, you might get eaten by a lion, but don't you want to live? Don't you want- do you want to spend all those years in lion taming college? No, you want to get right into it. The work, the the dream of being a lion tamer and getting your hand eaten off by a wild beast not meant to be tamed by man. (laughs) Your great-grandchildren will be so jealous. (laughs) So jealous. They can barely lie, like, they can barely stretch- uh, the responsibilities they had when they worked for a summer at Staples. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the government knows exactly what their buttholes look like, so you're wasting a grand opportunity. Thing was, Pujol didn't have the papers necessary to leave Spain for Britain. To leave Spain required both a passport and an exit visa, allowing travel to the country in question. Lying about international travel when you don't have a passport is ballsy. Ballsy as fuck. Not only does he not have a visa, he has no plan to get a visa. He has no idea how he's going to get a visa. Never mind one that will allow him to to visit Britain, which, keep in mind, is not an ally of Spain. (laughs) (laughs) He's just going to cut out a picture of his face and paste it in front of Buckingham Palace. Just mail that in periodically. Oh, you're getting ahead of yourself. That was a guess. (laughs) Please tell me you did this. <laughs> close. Not quite, but close. <laughs> Spain, as a fascist dictatorship, tightly controlled both passports and exit visas. Pujol had, by some happenstance, acquired a passport after the end of the Civil War, but had no exit visa. Pujol acquired his visa to Britain through a rather complicated affair involving lying his way into a visa to Portugal, then... After his initial plan of requesting a secondary visa from the Spanish embassy there failed, and after throwing a hissy fit in the Spanish embassy there also failed, uh, befriending a wealthy Galatian Spaniard, one Jaime Souza, who was living abroad in Lisbon and liked to flaunt a special diplomatic visa issued to him by the Spanish Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Pujol desperately wanted to get his hands on the thing. Friendship seduced Souza over the course of several evenings spent in nightclubs, cabarets, cafes, and cinemas before finally getting the opportunity to sneak the document out of his luggage. My favorite part of that whole story is the fact that he is trying to become a spy 
and presumably lay low. And the way that he accomplishes this is by throwing a public hissy fit in a passport office. (laughs) Absolutely. That's how you lie low. Yeah. Not just a passport office, but an embassy with an ambassador who happens to be the brother of 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 Franco, the man in charge of your country. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they almost never remember the faces of people who throw screaming matches in their fi- front fucking lobby. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Pujol did not steal the document, which would have called far too much attention, and because like that's really what he cares about at this point, and would not have been an honorable way to thank someone who had been a friend. <laughs> Rather, he took a picture of it and put the visa back with Sousa none the wiser. God, you could counterfeit uh, things in those days, too. It just makes me mad. Oh, absolutely. Everybody should have counterfeited everything and lied you always. Should have, they should have counterfeited every single fucking thing and just lied out of their asses about being Lyman tamers, about being on, about being podiatrists, about being dentists. Have you ever wanted having... to be nationally Chinese? You are yeah, now. Absolutely. Yeah. It. I don't. It doesn't even matter what color you are. Just say you're Chinese and good. Congratulations, you're Chinese. You have the no papers to prove better. it. M- most people haven't even seen a Chinese person. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> Lie more. Oh yeah, we look we look different in person. <laughs> <laughs> if you had access to time machine technology, you would use it to go back in time, not to kill Hitler, but to convince everybody on planet Earth at that time to take advantage of the lack of government <laughs> photocopiers. Yes. So- Absolutely. After having the photograph developed, Pujol had the Spanish coat of arms from the top of the visa made into a printing plate and an engraver's, then went to a print shop pretending to be a member of the Spanish embassy staff and requested 200 copies of the document, a much larger amount than he needed, but exactly the kind of large order to be expected of a government official. He then ordered a rubber stamp matching the one from the photograph under the same guise. At no point was he ever questioned voila exit visa (laughs) it's amazing he could carry 200 visas and his balls at the same time without falling over (laughs) it's amazing this man could put on pants in the morning tbh (laughs) you just use text slang on a podcast which means you're officially old now (laughs) you know this guy it's amazing he could be a spy considering all the sneaking he would have to do with his balls clanging like a gong in his pants. <laughs> what exactly do you think testicles are made of? Bronze in do this you think fucking that they case. Are, in this case, just him. They're no they're no use for reproduction. It's actually something of a medical curse. Uh he he lives in constant daily pain. It's, but damn. But damn. Damn. It's a particular strange Highly specific disorder only known to Catalonian chicken farmers. <laughs> the thing about this exit visa is it would not have ever worked if he actually tried to use it. Oh, God. <laughs> but after returning to Madrid, Pujol arranged a series of meetings with Federico. During these meetings, Pujol received training and advice alongside a bottle of invisible ink, secret codes, and money for expenses. Is that really all it takes to get secret codes? Just yup, and money out of German espionage? Just be like, hey, I'm getting a job at a Spanish magazine. <laughs> Pay me. Basically. Basically. That was- I Like, I am Damn. literally baffled by how easy it was to become a German agent. 
<laughs> it is genuinely concerning. <laughs> I deeply question German bureaucracy and vetting of their spies. Their system is both, like, it's so easy that an idiot could bring it down, but also so easy that only an idiot could bring it down. Yeah, like, only a moron would try to voluntarily enlist as a double agent. <laughs> and that's why a moron was the perfect man for the job. <laughs> it's just, it's it's so baffling. Like, no one else would have ever thought of this scheme, but the one man who did it managed to trick the Germans into completely buying all of his bullshit. Uh, so... He progressively uh, spun a spectacular web of bullshit during these meetings. Oh, of course. Like, this man is a compulsive liar, and he fucking enjoys it. (laughs) (laughs) At the first meeting, Pujol confessed to Federico that he had not, in fact, been to Barcelona, but rather to Lisbon, there on behalf of the Bank of Spain's foreign exchange police, and his friend, a Portuguese police officer named Zulueta, who frequently used him as an agent in exposing dubious currency exchanges, but that his true purpose had been to gain residency status in Portugal to ease his movement in and out of Spain. (laughs) I mean, if you're gonna lie, you want to tell small, easy-to-remember lies that fit with your current life, or you just want to go balls deep and claim that you know someone named fucking Zulueta, of all people, and that you're secretly a Portuguese currency agent, because that's... (laughs) You know, plausible. That's completely fucking sane. (laughs) It's the kind of lie that people believe just because why the fuck would you lie about that? (laughs) It's so specific. It's like when guys come up to me at a bar or a cafe and they're like, hey, do you have a boyfriend? And I mean, I could just be like, yeah, I know I have a boyfriend. Totally. Or I could just say that I'm a robotic superhuman crafted by the Ethiopian government to aid them in their quest for world domination, but that I've escaped to America and I'm now living under the guise of a Canadian foreign exchange student. And thus, you can't really deal with a relationship right now. Exactly. I just find that so much more convincing. <laughs> you know, really putting an effort into your the cover you're going under to have a nice time at this bar and be left alone. I I just feel like that level of detail just really gets guys to it understand. It sells. It sells. It sells. It sells. It. Like like the whole like oh I have a boyfriend. People don't believe that anymore. You know, you really have to go with the the Ethiopian super robot gambit if you want to have any success and any peace in your night drinking. I'm a lost Russian cosmonaut who been suspended in the space-time continuum since my launch in the 1960s and I've only just now fallen back to Earth at the same age I was when I left and I'm living under an assumed identity in America. That's what makes sense. That's what people want to hear. I prefer my version, which is just looking like a lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) You get to avoid these conversations entirely. Yeah, like, I have so many, like, good lies that I'd love to tell men who hit on me, but they never do. They just, like, take one glance over, they're like, that's either a man or a dyke. Probably not. (laughs) Yeah. If they ever ask you, you just look them dead in the eye and be like, no, the only things I like are pussy and milk. (laughs) Preferably at the same time. (laughs) Oh, God. No. 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 I regret everything. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I I only like vagina and dairy. (laughs) Oh, God. That's... 
I mean, if we ever start a band, that's the name right there. Oh, absolutely. Vagina and Dairy. Still, I'll I'll keep that in mind for the for the odd gentleman who likes his chicks a little thick and who approaches me on the bus. I'm a time traveling super spy slash slash concert director here from the future to slap Jared Leto, and this is my undercover identity as a gender ambiguous Canadian Canadian podcaster. <laughs> Yay! Perfect. <laughs> Spying is easy. I, I'm thinking that might be my next job opportunity. Oh, All this being a translator slash podcaster. Pfft, so 2016. <laughs> I should become a super spy. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. You'll pass the physical hands down. I, I will at least have a better shot of passing this physical than the one for frontline troops. <laughs> Nobody's putting me in front of a gun, no matter what side of it I'm on. I'm probably going to shoot my, myself and everyone else. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you right away. You know, like, you'll be lucky if I kill myself first. <laughs> or if you don't get winded putting on the holster. <laughs> I'll be halfway into my camo, camo in the middle of the desert and I'll just pass out in the sun and die. <laughs> Effective. Yeah. My 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 mother's gonna get the most depressing, sad condolence letter. Oh yeah, your daughter did so much die in combat as she died of heat stroke getting into her into uniform. <laughs> she died doing what she loved, confusing the Canadian government. <laughs> <laughs> that is my true passion. <laughs> I also enjoy giving myself confusing strange rare titles on unofficial forms also fun. as far as most people are, are concerned uh including most charities i am reverend jessica pijo why why <laughs> they gave me the option and i took it i do not have bail money for when you get arrested <laughs> for fraud it's not technically illegal to claim to be a reverend <laughs> As long as I'm not doing any reverending activities. I'm going to go out tomorrow and buy a piggy bank and just label it Jessica's Future Bail Bond. <laughs> I appreciate that. You're a pal. I'm going to start saving my change. I would like to bail Jessica out and all of my money for her bail is in the form of American quarters and dimes and is contained in this mm. porcelain pig. Yeah, every time you go for lunch, you'll just be like, can you break a 20? I have a friend with dubious life choices. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Federico somehow seems to buy all this. So several meetings later, after it turned out to be more difficult than Pujol thought to get a journalistic post in Britain as cover, he told Federico that he had uh, he had offered to go to Britain on a mission for... for, for Zulu. Portuguese is hard. This is actually a name that I'm struggling with. It's hard. Zulueta. Oh. And he was waiting to hear back from him with his decision. To prove the veracity of this claim, Pujol contacted a friend he had made in Lisbon and told him that while he dearly wanted to return to the city, his wife suspected him of having a girlfriend there and would not let him leave. And would he do him the favor of sending a particularly worded telegram for him to prove the innocence of his trip? The friend, loyal to the 1940s Iberian bro code, sent him the following. You must come urgently. The affair has been arranged. If you're being accused of having an affair, don't put the word affair in your <laughs> telegram. Oh, exactly. Like, this does not even 
even slightly passed the smell test. This this friend must have not even given a shit. <laughs> oh my god. Alright, you've been a, you've been accused of having a girlfriend in the city. Send me a helpful telegram. Like, alright, you need to come urgently. There is a woman here who just needs you to destroy her pussy. <laughs> <laughs> there 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 is a woman deeply in need of an A-class Roger. <laughs> You've got to ride her like a Shetland pony. That's not pony. a sexy word anymore, no, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> she 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 needs to take uh she needs to take the ham train to uh she needs to hammer the D. down. Just the D. <laughs> she needs it desperately. <laughs> Signed convincing telegram friend. <laughs> what he does is he he shows this telegram to Federico and then gets Federico to message back an agreement for him, just to really convince him of this. Uh, Pujol then traveled back to Lisbon and made damn sure that German intelligence agents marked his presence there. Finally, after returning once more to Madrid, Pujol revealed his master stroke. And I'd like to quote directly from Pujol here. Oh, God. Feigning extreme caution, I slid a piece of paper out of my pocket and pushed it towards him under the table making sure that no one else in the cafe thought, saw it. It was one of the pits of paper I had, had had specially printed in Lisbon, now f- filled in with my name and giving me di- diplomatic assignment to travel to London on a special mission for the commercial administrative department. I let Federico have a quick glance at it, then folded it up and put it back in my pocket. I asked him to keep my mission a secret, as it was confidential, and the government did not want anyone else to get involved. Oh my god, he's basically that kid you went to, like, elementary school with who totally claimed that his uncle was Hugh Jackman. <laughs> <laughs> he absolutely is. No, no, my, my, my dad's the president. <laughs> yeah, you just, you, you just can't meet him right now, because he's doing president stuff. Yeah, he's just really busy, you guys. Keeping the world safe, you know. Running the country. That's who he is, but an adult man <laughs> telling very real lies to foreign governments. With actual weapons who can actually kill him. <laughs> but this, more than anything else, is what really convinces Abwehr that they have a sincere, valuable agent on their hands. Under this cover, Pujol again left Spain in July 1941. The Germans had offered to look after Pujol's wife and young child in Spain, Though for a variety of reasons, uh, namely that he is not an actual sincere agent for the Abwehr, he decides to take them with him. I was gonna say, that, like, that seems like more of a threat. Yeah, yeah. Like, they probably meant it nice, but it's just like, yeah, I don't think you should be allowed to look after my, my, my family. I don't think you should be able to hold my wife and child hostage while I am overseas- like collecting information against a, a rival government for you. I don't think that is okay. <laughs> People always say there's no rules to parenting, but there is in fact one very important rule, which is do not let Nazis or hostile foreign governments babysit your children. Absolutely not. That's pretty clear. I think kids actually come with like a mattress tag that says that. <laughs> and like, there's not a lot of, there's there's not that many rules to marriage, but I'm pretty sure at least one of them is don't leave your wife in the care of, of a hostile foreign government at all. It's Again, that's something to add to the marriage vows. I think I really yeah. need to rewrite the marriage vows as a whole. I do a much you better know, job. Put that right in the prenup. That is going right in the prenup. That should oh, yeah. be numero uno among your vows. Do not give me to Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> 
It goes right before in sickness and in health. <laughs> Dearly beloved, do not give me to Nazis. And then just like every other line from that point on, in sickness or in health, do not give me to Nazis. <laughs> For as long as we both shall live, do not give me to Nazis. Do not give me to Nazis! <laughs> <laughs> the plan was to go to Lisbon, then to take a boat to Britain, where he could then begin to send reports back to Abwehr. Pujol again tries to offer his service services to a British embassy, this one in Lisbon, now with the codes and invisible ink given to him by, Abwehr, by his Abwehr contact as evidence, but again, again, they reject him. Aww. To quote Pujol, I just could not understand why the British were so difficult when the Germans were so understanding and cooperative. <laughs> why, I kept as on asking myself, was the enemy proving to be so helpful while those whom I wanted to be my friends were being so implacable? <laughs> Dear diary, the girl from math class won't sleep with me. I don't understand. I'm being so accommodating. <laughs> But I'm a nice guy. Why won't oh, the God. British accept me as a spy? Oh, God. <laughs> I can feel my body rejecting my own organs when I hear that phrase. Oh, yeah. Here's the thing. 90% of, of guys who refer to themselves as nice guy while whining about the fact that, like, a girl won't sleep with them probably aren't that nice. <laughs> if you, If you think that basic politeness gives you full license to another human being's body, you're probably not very nice. <laughs> Weird. Weird. <laughs> uh, of course, this all makes sense from the British perspective. They know that this odd Spaniard has some reason, some cause in approaching them, but for various reasons, they are acting in what could be one could call a reasonable excess of caution. Well, yeah, he's yeah, <laughs> he's from a fascist country, yeah, colluding with a foreign fascist country, and he's like, "Totes, let me in your country, guys." Yeah, for real. N never mind that. He is a former fascist soldier <laughs> who defected to the fascist side in the middle of a civil war. <laughs> he was just, he was a fascist till he saw her face, <laughs> Queen Vicky. Oh, Vicky. <laughs> now he's a believer. <laughs> The British are fully aware of the risk inherent to accepting difficult-to-vet volunteers into the intelligence service. They could easily be spies themselves. Weird. Duh. <laughs> Duh. Like, the British are fully aware of the weaknesses of background checks in this day and age. <laughs> Further, exactly as you said, Spain isn't necessarily a hostile power, but they aren't exactly a British ally either. A primary mission of the British of British intelligence on the Iberian Peninsula in Portugal and Spain is to discourage Spain's participation in the war, because if Spain were to join, it would likely be on the side of the Axis powers due to their closer ideological alignment and the support both Italy and Germany gave to the Franco side during the Civil War. Spain was officially neutral throughout World War II, but nonetheless returned much of that support, both materially and militarily. Hmm. Diplomats and bureaucrats in Lisbon and Madrid thus had every reason to suspect an unknown quantity in the form, the form of Pujol of either being A, a crazy person, or B, an agent provocateur. 
an enemy pawn seeking to lure them into causing a diplomatic incident and insulting the Spanish, into providing evidence that could be used to argue that the British were a threat to Spanish interests. Or C, he was both. Yeah, (laughs) he was both a crazy person and an agent provocateur. He was absolutely an enemy spy, albeit not one who was particularly dedicated to his job. (laughs) And also he was nuts. (laughs) And also that. Kukaluch. Hey everybody, thank you once again for listening to Fat French and Fabulous. We hope you really enjoyed the episode. I know we really enjoyed making it. Tune in next week if you want to hear the end of the story of Juan Pujol Garcia, Agent Garbo. If you've been enjoying the show, consider subscribing, consider reviewing, and consider recommending us to your friends if you think they'll enjoy it. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Facebook at Frat French and Fabulous or on Twitter at Fat French Fab. If you'd like to follow us individually, you can follow me on Twitter at I Am Not a Lungfish or Janelle at Very Bad Llama. See you next week.